This is Life in the Passing Lane, an autobiography by me. I'm Alex Bennett. This chapter is entitled Final Exit. So I'm at Sirius XM, and I wish I could say that, you know, Sirius XM, I was there for about, no, oh, nine and a half years, okay? And I could wish I could say that in that nine and a half year, boy, do I have some great, interesting, fantastic stories to tell you. But actually, they were far and few between. To many people, I described the job as being like civil service. You know, I went in, I got there about a half hour before I was supposed to go on the air. I read the prep sheet that Albert put together for me. And then, like clockwork, we would go in and do the show. It was almost the kind of show you, I could do in my sleep, okay? And many times, I think I was doing it in my sleep. Albert was a great producer, stayed my producer for all the nine and a half years that we were there. And uh, uh, he was just absolutely uh, uh, super. I mean, he, he not only was great at uh, uh, producing the show, but he was great as a kind of sidekick on the show as well. And a lot of that being a sidekick it was throwing in sounds, and he knew when certain pieces of music should be run. And many times the show was really funny because of Albert. And we had uh, what I called sidekicks. Usually it was a person who was hired to be the phone screener. And I would use them on the air because I always have needed people to talk to on the air, to bounce off of. It's very hard for me, even now, doing this show as we're doing it uh, and, and telling you my life story. It's very difficult to do without having somebody here to talk with. It's, you know, it's the reason why I have a citizen's panel. Because then I can do that same kind of give and take that I would do with a with a sidekick in the studio. And I could name all the different phone screeners and sidekicks that I've had along the way. But um, I, I don't think they really need to be mentioned. Some of which, because since I left Sirius, and we'll talk about that in a while, uh, I haven't heard from any of them. <laughs> so, you know, I don't think I need to plug them. But a lot of people always ask me about my sidekicks. You know, in the early years in San Francisco, there was Joe Rogelski, and then later on there was Lori Thompson, my newswoman. And then, of course, in uh, people always ask me about uh, Albert. How's Albert doing? Where is Albert? And I don't know where Albert is right now, but we did stick together, and you'll find out about that later as well. So anyway, uh, it, it, you know, uh, it was just an easy job, and it had no real drama to it. And the only time it ever got kind of interesting was uh, when we went to the uh, 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 caucuses in Iowa. Uh, we went to the uh, caucuses and saw that whole situation. And I, and I had never seen that kind of elective process before, and really came to love it, because it's really truly democratic. I mean, people show up and they uh, all vote together and then they decide who their group is going to going to vote for. And it's not a ballot thing or anything like that, but it's people really exercising democracy. Found it very, very interesting. And then we went to New Hampshire and this was all during Obama's first run for the White House. And, uh, that was probably maybe in many ways the most exciting thing we did because otherwise we never left that studio here in New York. Uh, but uh, we had fun and we had a good time. And uh, 
uh, it went on year in and year out, and there didn't seem to be any drama with the station, they, you know, with the Sirius. They never told me, hey, don't do this. Oh, you did that wrong. Oh, try and do this. Stop doing that. None of that. They let me have my head and let me do what I wanted to do. So in that respect, it was maybe one of the greatest jobs I ever had uh, because it was up to me. And, you know, I have a friend, Walter Sabo, who was a consultant to Sirius. I told you about him, and he later got dumped by Sirius unceremoniously, as so many people do, actually, it's Sirius. And um, he said to me when I went in there, he said, you have a real opportunity here. And I said, what? He said, you're a real radio guy, and you've always wanted to do things in radio. And I got to tell you, he says, this is the beginning of something, and you're never going to have this opportunity again. But do everything you ever wanted to do on radio, because right now you can get away with it. The minute this place starts making a lot of money, it's going to be harder to get away with. People are going to be afraid of screwing the pooch. But right now you can go in, try every harebrained idea you ever wanted to do, style the show any way you want to style it, and nobody's going to stop you. They're just happy to have somebody fill in airtime here. And so that's kind of what we did, and we got to do that for about nine and a half years. But let me talk to you about, uh, about uh, a couple of things here that did happen. First of all, uh, Mel Carmison. Mel Carmison, as I told you, was the guy who I almost worked for in Washington, D.C., and didn't work for because, well, I heard, I, you know, I, I, I was afraid to take the job because I had to quit my job in San Francisco before they would offer me the job, which is a legal thing, right? But I was a little afraid of that, and I didn't trust this guy who ran the company, Mel Carmison. And yet when I finally went to Sirius XM and I met up with Mel, and he looked at me in the break room that morning and said to me, hey, Alex, I know who you are. I'm a fan. Man, I just suddenly said to myself, did I fuck up royally by not going to work for this guy earlier? But we were working together now, and he was my boss at Sirius XM. And while I saw him in the halls and we said hello, uh, basically uh, I had no interaction with him on a business level. But, you know, there was something about the creativity at Sirius XM at that time that was wonderful. And the, the reason was, and whatever anybody, you know, you talk to a salesman about Mel, and they will tell you horrible things about Mel, what a terrible guy he was, because he, he was like a slave driver with his sales department. But with talent, he admired radio talent, and he loved radio. That's why he nurtured Howard Stern into being a national star because he believed in his talent and he pushed it. And so while Mel was at Sirius, Sirius was very talent-centric, okay? And you were allowed to have freedoms that you would never have anywhere else. I mean, this is the guy that went to fight for Howard before the FCC and, and say, no, well, we're not going to pay that fine. We're going to fight that fine, blah, 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 because he believed in people doing the kind of radio they wanted to do. And as long as Mel was there, there was somehow there was just a feeling, you know, there, uh, uh, what can I say about companies? You know, it's the guys at the top and their mood that filters down to everybody else and permeates the halls. 
And that's the way something sounds. That's why it sounds good. I often said a radio show sounds only as good as the hallway they just walked down to get into the studio, because that's the mood. And he somehow made it a very creative place. And he went along with people trying wild stuff and things like that. I mean, he was he was busy trying to get out of the financial mess we had been in. And uh, it was just wonderful under Mel. Well, as things would happen, um, Mel finally was, I think, I would like to say he left on his own power, but I think he was kind of booted as well. Uh, and I think that he... Um, probably was kind of getting happy to leave too. And when he left, all of that kind of changed. It just was more of a, um, well, I'll give you a good example. I was talking to my program director one day, and I said, how come I haven't gotten a, uh, a bonus in two years? And he said, well, we have a new way of bonusing people. And I said, how's that? And they said, well, it's, it's based on how much publicity you can get us. In other words, if you can go out and get on a lot of TV shows and, and, and become a pundit on a lot of TV shows, uh, you'll probably get uh, a bonus. And I said to him, I said, wait a minute. My job is to go on the radio and do the best goddamn radio show I possibly can. It's your job to go out and get it publicity. And I just never understood that. But I, I realized that that's the way the company was going. You know, they were starting to hire names. Now, mind you, you can hire a name. You can hire the best and most well-known movie actor in America. You hire Tom Cruise to do a show, but that doesn't mean he can do good radio. It just means it's Tom Cruise on Sirius. And so we started getting a lot of people that really weren't suited to radio. But because they had big names, they were being pushed. Uh... Some of them were, I think, a good move. Uh, when they hired uh, 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 Stewart, uh, Martha Stewart, uh, I think that was pretty, a pretty good move because she, she really had a name and she had a, a kind of products that would uh, translate into being radio shows, you know, how to cook this, how to clean that, and how to, you know, all the graces of good homekeeping. Yeah. But they were paying her $30 million a year to do it. And I think that it, she didn't get us $30 million worth of uh, subscribers. Okay. On the other hand, the other person who got hired and paid a lot of money was Howard Stern. And Howard Stern signed a five-year contract at $100 million a year. Now, people have said to me, doesn't that bother you? And I said, no, because when Howard came to Sirius... When I, when I was first working at Sirius and he wasn't there, I'd tell people I'm working for Sirius Satellite Radio, and they go, oh, what's that? Okay. Or they would mention XM. They would say, is that anything like XM? You know, that was the other satellite system before the companies merged. But when Howard came to Sirius XM, uh, he brought credibility to the place, he brought a large audience to the place initially. I don't think he brings them in anymore, but he brought them there in the beginning. We got a lot of press out of it, and all of a sudden, everybody was talking about Sirius. They weren't talking about anything else, and I didn't have to tell them what Sirius was. Oh, that's the thing Howard's on now. So 
for whatever I might have felt about Howard at the time, the fact that he was coming to Sirius was and still remains a major force in having made that company a, a byword in the broadcasting industry. So I give Howard credit for that. I, however, let me talk about Howard for a little bit. You know, I first heard about Howard when I was in San Francisco. Uh, and all of a sudden there was this guy, Howard Stern, a shock jock, and he was he was burning up the track, you know, because he was doing, uh, he was saying things that got the FCC mad, and the FCC would find them, and Mel would say, we're not going to pay it, and then it was making the news, and Howard Stern was getting to be known nationally. And he was also now syndicated as well. And people would come to me and say, have you heard Howard Stern? And I'd say, no, I've never heard Howard Stern. And they would go, you really should. He stole your act. So that only made me not want to listen to him all the more because I figured, you know, I usually I never listened to other morning programs. And the reason I didn't, a lot of people did this, you know, they would record their competitors and they would listen to them. And I never listened to my competitors. And the reason was, I said, the only person I'm competing against is myself. And also, if I listen to my competitors, I'm going to be reacting to what they're doing. And I don't want to do that. Uh, I just want to blindly do what I think is great radio. And if it gets ratings, terrific. But I'm not going to listen to the guy across town and say, oh, listen what he's doing. Well, I better counter that by doing this and so on. You know, let them listen to me and react to me. I wasn't going to react to them. So the idea of listening to Howard was kind of an anathema to me because um, uh, I didn't want to do something that would be trying, it would be reacting to what I had heard. But finally, one day, one day, I did hear Howard. Uh, he was on in San Jose, and I don't know, I think it was a rebroadcast later in the day, so it wasn't when I was on the air, or it was a weekend rebroadcast or something. And I turned him on for about 10 minutes. And after 10 minutes, I switched the radio off, and I said, that motherfucker stole my act. Here's the funny thing, though, and this is what always galled me about Howard. For years, he would go on the air, and I, you know, I, without even having me be in contact with him, I, I had nothing to do with Howard Stern. But he found himself thinking that he could, I guess, better himself by going after me. And he would tell his audience that I stole my act from him. Now, it kind of a little impossible. Howard's about, oh, I don't know, what is he, 15 years younger than I am? Something like that. So, uh, some, you know, the, the chicken came, I think, before this egg. <laughs> okay? And I... Uh, uh, I just, I, I was just appalled when I heard him saying that, you know, that I stole his act. But, you know, when I listened to him, I saw the similarities. And then in, uh, in, there was a book that came out on the life of Howard Stern. And part of the book, one of the things in the book was about me and that Howard had listened to me when he was growing up in New York. And I was one of his influences. I and another guy here in New York, we talked about many, many episodes ago called Bob Grant. 
he, he was influenced by him too. But he would never admit that he was influenced by me. And you know that privately, in recent years, he has admitted to people privately that we both know that, yes, uh, he did. Uh, he was influenced by me. But, you know, to not recognize me as an influence and in instead to vilify me as somebody who stole my act, his act from him was terrible. And it's also, you know, it's kind of like I used to have comedians who, who would have a great act and they have some great jokes. And then another comedian would come into town, hear that comedian, steal the joke, go on uh, Letterman and do the joke. And from that time on, if this comic in a club did that joke, they'd say, you stole that from so-and-so. Well, you know, it's kind of the same way with Howard. He spent so much time saying that I had stole my act from him, which was just, a, it couldn't possibly be. You know, the age difference wouldn't make that possible. Uh, it was kind of hurtful to me, you know. Uh, I am willing to sit here and tell you everybody who ever influenced me. I'm willing to tell you all about how great Don Sherwood was in San Francisco and how he, I thought he was the, the best, you know, radio guy I ever heard in my life. So it, it kind of galled me. And, it, and, it, and I think it kind of hurt, hurt me a little bit. And it may have even hurt my career a little bit as well. Uh, I remember once I wanted to get as my agent, the agent that had Howard, and he wouldn't take me because he said, well, Howard wouldn't like that because you stole your, you stole your act from him. And I go, what, what the hell is this all about? You know, I didn't steal anything from anybody. In fact, I never wanted to steal from anybody, so much so that if I pulled a joke that a comedian did, I would say, as my friend David Feldman said, I would always give attribution. Uh, to the comic for the joke that I was about to use if I was going to use a joke that was somebody else's. But I, you know, I never wanted to steal from anybody. I wanted to be an original, and I think I have been an original. So anyway, this is the Howard Stern now that comes to work at Sirius. And I love him because he's bringing ears to our doorstep. We're getting subscribers like crazy. And on the other hand, I hate him because of the, the history that has gone on between myself and Howard. And uh, I, uh, I never met up with Howard while I was at Sirius. I, in fact, he, I would see him in the hallway and I'd go the other direction. I just didn't want to even begin to get into it. And I don't even think he would know it was me. I don't think he ever knew what I looked like, okay? So finally, uh, there was a thing that happened when Anthony Weiner was uh, running for mayor and, uh, no, not when he was running for mayor, well, the first time, before he ran for mayor. And, and he had the first uh, pictures that he sent out on Twitter. And he went and he held a press conference to say that he was, you know, going to quit his office or whatever and apologize for what he had done and his mea copa. And uh, one of Howard's stunt guys was there and he yelled out some stuff while he was trying to do his press conference and, you know, trying to disrupt it. And, uh, you know, of course, Howard thinks this is hilarious. And the, this little stunt guy who goes out to do this thinks it's hilarious. And I don't think it's hilarious because I'm saying to myself, you know, here's Anthony Weiner. God knows life is bad enough for him right now. And all of a sudden he's got this putz in there uh, making remarks while he's trying to do, a, you know, his, his fond farewell 
uh, and, and, and so on. So I went on the next day, and I ripped this guy an asshole. I said, look, I have no great love for Anthony Weiner, but geez almighty, you know, this guy's life has been just a, a big piece of shit lately, and you don't have to pile it on. It's been piled on enough for him, and I think it was just tasteless to do that. Well, Howard hears about this, okay, and he gets absolutely nasty on the air about me. He absolutely goes apoplectic. How could he do this to my guy? And, you know, Alex Bennett, who the hell is Alex Bennett? And now the next thing I know, uh, Baba Bowie, uh, his producer, uh, shows up in our studio. And he says, Howard would like you to come down and be on the air with him. And I looked at him and I said, if Howard wants to talk to me, he can come here. The next thing I know, they're dragging TV cameras in because they used to video his show every day. And uh, they've got remote mics uh, they're setting up in the studio. And, and, they, and all of a sudden, in walks Howard. Now, mind you, in all this history with Howard, I never, ever met up with him. This was our first meeting. And I figured, what am I going to do? Here's Howard. And he's mad. He's really mad. Or he's I probably feigning madness because, you know, he's, he's just doing a radio show. And he's a good radio guy, so he knows how to take advantage of a good radio moment. And the first instinct I have is, because the mics are still off, I put out my hand, and he puts his hand in my hand. And I say, great to meet you, Howard. And from that moment on, I had him. Uh, we got on the air. He started ranting and raving. I said, calm down, blah, 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 blah. And we had about, I guess we had about 15 minutes on the air. And by the way, this is one of the few times in the history of Sirius XM that Howard had ever gone down to be on somebody else's show at Sirius XM. Okay, I think it happened one other time. And, uh, and it was because that guy was dying, and so he wanted to do a mitzvah, Okay. Uh, and uh, Howard and I had this uh, very uh, nice discussion and whatever. Now, he goes back down. He goes back on the air, and uh, um, his people on the air say, gee, you were awfully nice to Alex, because they expected he was going to go down and, nah, da, 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 and do his nasty bit, and he was going to be Mr. Shock Jock. And with my shaking his hand, and say, hi, Howard, great to meet you. And he went on the air, and he said, well, I was going to, but then he kind of shook my hand and said, nice to meet you. And he was so nice that I couldn't go after him. And that was my meeting up with Howard Stern. And uh, they put the thing on his TV show. I mean, they, 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 this thing was just, uh, they, it, it, they were playing it all the next day. And uh, it was kind of a time that Howard had suddenly been undone by somebody else because I just took the, the high road and uh, he couldn't, he just, he couldn't fight it. And, you know, I kind of know that, that one of the reasons I did it right was because Howard and I are a lot alike. You know, I mean, I look at his history, uh, even when he was in school and things like that, and a lot of it parallels my life. I mean, we had somewhat the same experience, you know, growing up Jewish in a non-Jewish neighborhood and things like that. 
And so I, I think that when we met up and he met me, he suddenly realized, realized and he, one of the things he said was, I, I didn't even know Alex was working here till this thing happened. What do you mean you didn't know I was working there? You live in such a vacuum, Howard, that you don't know this guy's been working there even before you got there? Anyway, he, uh, he, he said, eh, you know, he just said, uh, nice to meet you, Howard. He said, what could I do? I, he says, I, it disarmed me. So that was the case with Howard. And that's my meeting with Howard Stern. Well, anyway, one other little person I want to talk about for a moment. When I first went to Sirius XM, there was another person working there on weekends, and they they decided to give her a, a weekday show. And um, they were going to give her a weekday show so that there would be two of us doing live programs on Sirius Left or Sirius. Yeah, it was called Sirius Left in the beginning. And um, uh, so uh, it was a woman by the name of Lynn Samuels. And uh, they introduced me to Lynn, and I, I was very happy to meet Lynn, and she, uh, she uh, seemed uh, to be very kind of nice to me, and uh, that's, that's the way it was. But Lynn is not the, was not the nicest person in the world. In fact, if I can say it properly, she was a cunt, okay? And she was determined to hate me. And so anytime she could, she was putting me down on the air and giving me a bad time. And every time I would see her, I would be charming. I would be decent. I would be nice. I would be terrific. And Lynn would just always go back on the air and just be nasty. And she would try and bait me while I was talking with her. And, uh, uh, but I, I would never do anything to give in to that baiting. And I just tried to be really nice with her and tell her, hey, I heard your show last week. Boy, that was good. Of course it was. You know. Anyway, on a Christmas Eve, uh, she died. She died in her apartment. But nobody knew she was dead for about a day. Uh, she didn't show up for work. And they, well, actually, it wasn't that she didn't show up for work. She was doing her show from the apartment. And when they flipped the switch, uh, there was no Lynn there. And they didn't know what was happening. So eventually, without not being able to get a hold of her, they got a hold of her, uh, tried to get a hold of her, and then they finally called the cops and said, you better break down her door. And they got in, and there she was, you know, stiff as a board. And that was the end of Lynn Samuels. But I got to tell you, no matter what anybody says about how I might feel about Lynn, I got to tell you, she was a great broadcaster. She was fun to listen to. She was terrific on the air. And that's the only place it matters. But as far as I was concerned, she hated my fucking guts. And I've never been able to figure out why. I never did anything to make her hate me. But, you know, sometimes it's like uh, two women showing up to a party wearing the same dress. You know. Finally, this whole thing, you know, it's serious. It, uh, it, was, it just kept going on and going on and going on. We've been now nine and a half years, and all of a sudden... One day, you know, you, 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 when this day comes, it's 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 an amazing day because it it's choreographed, and on, not on your side, on their side. And I walk up uh, to the uh, the floor above us, which is uh, uh, you know is is where the offices were, and I'm going to my uh, cu- cubbyhole or cubicle or whatever they call those things these days, 
And um, I see my program director and I see Jeremy Coleman off in the distance. I said, Alex, would you come on in here, please? And I said, uh, sure. And I go in and they both sit down and they close the door. Now, when they close the door, you know it's bad, okay? Uh, the only other time that he had me close the door, the program director was, he said, would you close the door, please? And I figured, well, this is it. And it turned out he just wanted to give me some T-shirts and not let anybody know that I was getting them. But this time, it wasn't that. They sat down and they said, well, we have some bad news. Uh, this is pretty much the end. Uh, we have decided to, you know, they always say it this way, go in another direction. And uh, we are uh, terminating you. Uh, we'll give you 16 weeks severance. I've been there nine and a half years, 16 weeks fucking severance. What a cheap fucking organization. And, um, you know, and then they said the one thing that always got to me. And don't take it personally. This is nothing you did. This is not your fault. Now, that, and I'll tell you next time, opened up a whole bunch of things like, you know, then what is it? How come if it isn't my fault, if I didn't do anything wrong, is it that I'm, you know, not going to be coming in here anymore to do a program? And they said to me, but we'll let you go out on your own terms and pick the date you want to go, but we hope you'll make it sooner rather than later. And I said, well, how about two weeks, a week from, two weeks from this Friday? And they went, fine. You know, that'd be terrific. And I think it was, you know, it says something about me that they let me stay on the air for those two weeks because most uh, radio stations, if they fire somebody, they say, well, you know, just take your stuff and get the hell out of here. You're not doing a show tomorrow morning because they don't want that person on the air because they're afraid they'll self-destruct the radio station and themselves. So anyway, I'm out. I'm out for what probably is the last time in my life after nine and a half years at, uh, at Sirius uh, XM. And boy, did I take it hard. But that's a story for next time. This has been Life in the Passing Lane, an audio biography by me. I'm Alex Bennett.